At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, folks, before we start really exciting news, we now have CME available from ACRAC. That's right. You can get AMA PRA Category 1 credit for listening to ACRAC and then filling out just a quick survey question that will take you not more than about 30 seconds to a minute. Those links are at the website, ACRAC.com. In each uh, show notes, you can see right under the description, there will be a bold CME with a link. You click on that link. It's a small cost for each credit, much less than you would pay to go to a conference or get the 20 or 30 or 40 credits that you need for the year. You can do them one at a time for each episode that you listen to and get a full credit for just listening to an ACRAC episode and then filling out this quick question. This is powered by CMEify. It's using AI technology to bring the right education to the right place at the right time. And it really is great. You can do this in just a minute or less and get credit. So if you are out there looking for a way to get PRA Category 1 credit for your CME requirements, or if you're already getting it somewhere but you're already listening to ACRAC anyway and you'd like to get it from this, now you can. Every episode can get you a credit, so you can get more than 200 credits from ACRAC episodes by listening and then clicking on that link on the website at ACRAC.com. All right, now on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and I am alone today. Feels like quite a while since I have done one of these without a guest, but I'm excited to talk about a really interesting topic. We're just going to be pretty short today. I want to kind of float this out there and see what you think, have it be something people can think about. I'm very interested to see if folks have comments or things to add to this. So the topic is going to be intralipid therapy for amniotic fluid embolism treatment. Now, I want to be very clear up front. This is not something that's well-established. There's not great evidence. There's no trials. There are some case reports we'll talk about, and we'll talk about the kind of mechanistic function of why this might be something that might work. But you have to think about it and decide at your own institution whether this is something you want to try, either as a last-ditch effort in a suspected amniotic fluid embolism, or whether it's something you want to consider trying early on in a suspected embolism, or whether it's something you don't want to try at all. But I think it's something worth thinking about. I want to give a big shout-out to Dr. Adam Olson, who brought this to my attention. I was not aware of this at all, and he brought these case reports to my attention and shared some stories of his own and really you know, got me kind of intrigued. And I thought it was worth giving a overview of what this is all about and letting people 
think about it. And as I said, provide comments, look into it some more, add to this ongoing conversation. So thanks, Adam. So a couple things up front. What is intralipid? Now, that's a brand name, actually. We're talking about IV lipid emulsion. And in the United States, the most common brand of that is intralipid. And it's basically an emulsion of soybean oil, egg yolk, phospholipids, and glycerol. And it's used for a variety of things. It's certainly used as part of the components of total parenteral nutrition to give the fatty acids that people need if they're getting all their nutrition through the vein. It's also used in, uh, there's some kind of experimental stuff with uh, REI, reproductive endocrinology and fertility, which we're not going to get into at all. But also, of course, this was first shown back in 1998, originally in a rat model, then subsequently in mammal models. And of course, now we, it's well established in humans to improve resuscitation from bupivacaine overdose in rats. And, and then since then, actually, it's been shown to have some efficacy in a lot of other overdoses as well from a variety of things, including calcium channel blockers, antipsychotics, and benzodiazepines. So there are a lot of things and certainly a predictor of whether something will be helped by intralipid is whether it is lipid soluble. And indeed, the first thought was that what this did was create like a lipid sink in the plasma where the drug would get drawn into. And that may actually be a part of it, but it's it's a lot more complex than that is, is now the thinking. There's a lot more to it than just providing a lipid sink. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Now, amniotic fluid embolus itself was initially thought to be a true embolic phenomenon where the amniotic fluid would get into the maternal circulation and actually cause a plug, actually cause an obstruction to flow in the pulmonary vasculature, and that would cause hemodynamic collapse. Now, the thought is that's probably not what's happening. It's probably more of an anaphylactoid reaction that's causing a variety of things. It can certainly cause DIC, and that's a common thing associated with amniotic fluid embolus. And it also can cause pulmonary vascular vasoconstriction, which can lead to right heart failure. There's varying reports of how common this is, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight cases per 100,000 births. It's got quite a high fatality rate, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 13 to 26% fatality rate. So it's quite deadly when it does happen. It's a diagnosis of exclusion, and certainly you need to be going down the path of thinking about anything that could be going on in a woman who is having a cardiovascular collapse. DIC or anything else in the peripartum period, but certainly this is something you want in your differential and you want to have a high index of suspicion because it can be so fatal. And there is some thought that if it's recognized early and treated to the extent that you can treat it, there aren't really treatments, though what we're talking today may be potentially one, but at least where hemodynamic support is provided early, maybe there's better outcomes. All right, so two interesting case reports. The, the one that's kind of most thorough and most interesting is from 2017 from Baylor Scott and White Memorial Hospital down in Texas, a fantastic place, and we've had guests on the show from there. And they wrote a really well-done case report. And again, we'll have these in the references. But it was, again, published in 2017, and they talk about this striking report of cardiovascular collapse that developed after a woman was in labor. She was in labor. She had DIC start to develop while she was in labor. She was delivered the baby that went okay. And then subsequent to having the baby out, developed true cardiovascular collapse. They initiated CPR, of course, and went down the pathway of doing all of the things you do in CPR. And it went on for 40 minutes where she was either in complete asystole or just profound, profound bradycardia, essentially without a pulse. So they did not get ROSC during this 40 minutes. They did have a ropivacaine epidural running during labor. So, of course, they thought about local anesthetic systemic toxicity. 
But the epidural, they checked, it had not delivered a particular large amount. They knew that the analgesia had been effective. So she had really good labor analgesia, which would suggest that it was not in the vein. It was actually in the epidural space. She didn't and had not reported any tinnitus. So it seemed unlikely. And of course, last, though it would explain the cardiovascular collapse, would not explain the coagulopathy. So it didn't seem like it was last. That said, they wanted, of course, to be thorough and not leave any stone unturned. And so they decided to go ahead at that point and give a bolus of intralipid. They report that within 30 to 90 seconds, they achieved ROSC with dramatic improvement of both RV and LV function seen on TEE, that's transesophageal echo. So they had placed a transesophageal echo before, and they saw a really profoundly dilated and malfunctioning RV and LV. And then after giving the intralipid, they used the TEE again and saw profound improvement in both of the biventricular function. So it was really quite striking and very, very temporally associated with the dose of intralipid. Now, what's really interesting, because if that was it, you know, that's that's interesting, but you'd say, okay, you know, it's a little hard to know, is it just association or causation? But then a few minutes later, she started to deteriorate again, lost her pulses again. They gave another bolus of intralipid, and within 30 to 60 seconds of that second bolus, the whole thing happened again, where she got ROSC again, and her hemodynamic parameters all improved strikingly, and again seen on echo. So really, you know, kind of two times in a row, they saw this striking temporal association with the intralipid. And just for follow-up, six months later, she actually did great. She had almost no significant sequelae. She did have some sensory-related deficits in both hands from reperfusion tissue injury. But other than that, she was doing great, able to do all her activities of daily living and take care of her baby. So really a striking recovery from what could have been fatal and really seems like it almost was. So that's the case report from 2017. And then there's another case report from 2019 out of Israel, which is kind of an interesting article because they mostly just quote, uh, most of their article is actually literally just quotation, giant quotations from prior articles. But the very small part of their case report that talks about their own case is another example. It's a little different. This one, the patient was under general anesthesia from the start, so there was no epidural. That's interesting because, of course, it means there was no possibility of local anesthetic systemic toxicity since, of course, the patient did not receive local anesthetic. So we know it wasn't last in this case. Same thing. After delivery, the patient had profound cardiovascular collapse. They This time, though, instead of as a last-ditch effort, they right away gave intralipid, and they had some significant improvement right away in blood pressure, and then continued to have to kind of struggle, because although there was some improvement in blood pressure, the patient was still tachycardic, and the blood pressure wasn't amazing, but then 40 minutes into the dosing of the intralipid and the event, the patient had quite profound recovery, and then went on to do great, go home, and have no sequelae. So their point was that this could be really effective given as an initial treatment for suspected AFE and not even waiting until just, you know, kind of nothing else has worked. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. So, of course, these are case reports, and there's only two of them. So it's not like there's robust evidence, as I said up front, and certainly no trials or anything like that. So we have to think then about what could the mechanism be. If this works, and, and it is, I think, a big if, then why might it work? And, you know, as I said up front, there was initially this idea, oh, with bupivacaine, we're providing a, a lipid sink into which bupivacaine or another lipid-soluble drug might go. Now, then you have to wonder, well, what about amniotic fluid embolism? How would that fit into that picture? And, you know, I guess you could imagine if there are some vasoconstricting substances, maybe they're lipid-soluble, maybe they go into this lipid sink. All right, but there's also some really other interesting stuff. So let's talk about that. There's clearly a lot going on with intralipid. So in the 2012 article, which we'll put in the show notes, they actually talk about an interesting rat model where intralipid actually prevented the development of right ventricular hypertrophy and remodeling and failure in rats. So what they did is they gave rats monocrotaline, which 30 days into getting that will cause RV failure in rats. And then they took one group that was getting that and gave them intralipid every day, and the other group did not. And the group that got intralipid, none of them developed RV failure. And the group that did not get it all developed it. So it was really interesting, the idea there being that maybe intralipid actually plays some role in protecting the heart from this poison and preventing the remodeling of the RV. So that's kind of one interesting thing. Studies have also shown that Intralipid is associated with fatty acid oxidation and inhibition of mitochondrial permeability transition pore opening, and that intralipid emulsion exerts a rapid positive inotropic and lusotropic effect on the anesthetized rat heart. And so the theory here is that maybe if it's able to do that, it can actually play a role in reversing the cardiotoxicity of a lipophilic drug. So maybe what's going on here is not necessarily just that it's sucking away the drug and therefore stopping the negative effect of the drug, but it may actually have some direct positive inotropic and lusotropic effect of its own on the heart that is countering the negative effect of the drug. So that's one thing. Another thing is that gamma linoleic acid, which is a key component of the intralipid formulation, has been shown to be protective against doxorubicin-induced cardiotoxicity. So there's, again, some direct effect there. Another thing is that genistein, which is a soy-derived phytoestrogen that's also an intralipid, has been shown independently to reduce pulmonary hypertension. And then again, gamma linoleic acid, which we already said is there, it turns out is a precursor of prostacyclin. Now that should sound familiar because prostacyclin is a substance that's known to induce pulmonary vasodilation. And of course, it's used in the treatment of pulmonary hypertension. So you have people on prostacyclin for pulmonary hypertension. So in theory, the lipid emulsion might provide a prostacyclin-like effect leading to vasodilation. So again, tr directly treating the vasoconstriction of the whatever it is we're talking about, whether it's a drug or, in this case, amniotic fluid embolus. As they discuss in the article from Baylor, Scott & White, prostacyclin has a similar effect on pulmonary vasculature as nitric oxide. And, of course, we know nitric oxide is used as a pulmonary vasodilator, and it's actually been shown to help in the critical hemodynamic compromise 
of parturients with AFE. So that, again, not in big trials or anything, but in case reports, there are instances of nitric oxide being used successfully to treat patients who are thought to have AFE. So we know that prostacycline can lower pulmonary vascular resistance. And the idea that since we're giving a precursor of prostacycline, that, that lipid emulsion may have some similar effect could potentially be a reason why it's able to help with the profound right ventricular failure that can be seen in AFE. So as you can see, there's a lot of interesting stuff that is not as simple as just, you know, give this and it sucks up a medication or sucks up the amniotic fluid. In this case, it may be having a direct effect that is countering the vasoconstrictive effect of the anaphylactoid-like reaction that is probably what's going on with AFE. So you might say, what's the downside? Why don't we just give intralipid to every parturient who's not doing well? And that's something interesting to think about, but there are some downsides. So certainly there can be negative effects to giving high-dose lipid. And while probably in the relative short term they are rare, there is also a much more common effect, which is that giving high-dose lipid will make it very difficult to interpret lab values. So this can be significant because you could imagine a situation where someone is not doing well, you give them intralipid right up front, you don't yet have, let's say, a hemoglobin level, or you don't yet have electrolyte levels. And it turns out that it wasn't amniotic fluid embolus that was the problem. It was actually occult bleeding. And if you had gotten a hemoglobin level right away, you would have recognized that. But because it takes so long for the lab to process it and give you an accurate hemoglobin, if they even can give you an accurate number, when they have to deal with all that lipid in there, you may be delayed in that diagnosis. Similarly, let's say the problem is hyperkalemia. But again, you can't get an accurate potassium level because of all the lipid that's screwing it up. So you do want to just be cognizant of that. There are things that can be made more difficult or diagnoses that can be missed if you don't think about this in a careful way. So again, I'm not telling you the right answer here is to give everyone intralipid who you think might have an AFE, but it's something to think about. It's something you should discuss at your place and decide whether you want to do this. If you're going to do it, you have to think when you want to do it. And certainly if you're going to do it early, you want to make sure you send all your potential labs that you might want before you give the lipid. Otherwise, you may not be able to get those values in a timely manner or even in an accurate way at all. All right. So that's what we've got. And as I said, this is very, very experimental here. There are no trials proving that this is effective. There, are, I've told you about the two case reports. So it's something that is worth thinking about, but by no means guaranteed. And as I said, not necessarily something I can even definitely advocate, but I am interested to hear from listeners. Have you heard of this? Have you tried it? What's your own experience with this? And I think it's just something good to have out there because ultimately we do a lot of things when we really just don't have anything left to throw at something. So, for example, there isn't great data in sepsis for stress dose steroids. Maybe there's a suggestion that it might be helpful. But when we have someone with severe sepsis, septic shock, and they are on multiple pressors and they're not doing well, we often throw steroids at them, even though we may not think they actually have critical illness-induced corticosteroid insufficiency or true adrenal insufficiency. But, you know, we figure, look, we have nothing left to give. We're going to give this. There are a lot of things like that. And so this may be one of them where at the very least, if you decide, well, we're not going to give it up front, you might think, all right, if we've tried everything and this 
we're coding this patient. They've had you know no ROSC now for 30, 40, 50 minutes, and we're thinking about calling the code. At that point, it seems like there's probably not a lot of downside to trying this. Again, you may want to try it earlier. That's up to you. But at the very least, it seems like before you give up, this might be something worth trying. So think about it. Let us know what you think. All right. Again, thank you so much to Dr. Adam Olson for bringing this to my attention. And, uh, you know, I think this is just how we learn in medicine, right? Interesting stuff. People bring things up. You got to have the courage to ask and to think hard and to challenge paradigms. So way to go, Adam. Let us know what you thought. Go to the website, ACRAC.com. Leave a comment. Let us know about your experience. Have you done this? And if so, what's it been like? You can join the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Jay Wolpaw, and we're at ACRAC Podcast. You can join the Facebook group. You can follow us on Instagram. Lots of fun ways to get involved. If you're a fan of the show, please consider going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. If you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to either patreon.com slash ACRAC, where you can become a patron, or you can make a donation anytime by going to paypal.me slash ACRAC, or looking up Jed Wolpaw on Venmo. Thank you so much to those who have already become patrons and made donations. It makes a huge difference, and we really appreciate it. Huge thanks, as always, to our tech lead, Dr. Brian Park, our social media manager, Ryan Okonski, and our production assistants, Drs. Kimia Kashkuli and April Liu. We have a fantastic team, and I'm really grateful. Our original ACRAC music is by Dr. Dennis Quo. You can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right, that is it for today. For the ACRAC Podcast, I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.